You know, as we were singing that last chorus about the kingdom of God and God building his house in us, I thought, you know, there may be some people here who are wondering what in the world that means for God to build his house in us. And so before we get to our word today from Acts chapter 21, I just want to share with you from Ephesians chapter 2 where this concept is taken about God's house. And speaking of the redemption of Christ, verse 19, it says that we who have received Christ are no longer strangers to God or aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And this household is built on the foundation of the apostles That's the New Testament leaders of the church and the prophets. Those were the Old Testament people who spoke for God. So the foundation for the church is the New Testament, the Old Testament. But the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. He's the the one who, who upon whom it is all built, the church. And it says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also, that's us, and that you there is plural, so this is the people of God, plural, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so as we're asking for God to build his house in us, maybe a more accurate way to say that would to build your house through us or among us, but that as we are added to the family of God, we become a place where we together are a dwelling place for God's spirit. Yes, we personally, believers, are, are in, in filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but, but also corporately that God brings us together as the church, and in that expression, his spirit comes and dwells with us. And as we sing that he would build his house, we're saying, Lord, build us together in such a way where your spirit can come and dwell with us and among us and that your kingdom would be expressed through us. So that's what we mean when we say, Lord, build your house in us. Okay. Acts chapter 21 is where we are today. And we are finishing up our journey looking at Paul's third missions trip. Uh, Paul's third missions trip is maybe one of the most significant endeavors that has ever even been undertaken for the cause of Christ. It lasted about three to four years. The majority of this missions uh, journey or this missions expedition, he spent in the city of Ephesus. And we have seen how the gospel took such root in that city. It moved forward with such power that those who practiced magic and dark arts were turning from darkness to light, burning their occultic books and and practices and and all of their paraphernalia, turning away from worshiping idols, idol makers going out of business. It was incredible what God did in this mission's journey. Later on, Paul will write back to the church in Ephesus, and in our Bible, that's the book of Ephesians, which has been called the most influential document ever written in the history of the world because of the way Ephesians has shaped Western culture for the last 2,000 years. 
All of this springs from this third missions journey. And today we're looking at the last leg, the last stretch of that journey, as Paul has gone around collecting an offering to take back to the saints in Jerusalem who were suffering. And over the past few weeks, we've seen Paul make uh, some mention about his desire to return to Jerusalem. And I I just want to highlight these passages for you because they're going to become important for us in our text this morning. But in Acts 19.21, it says this, that after these things happened, Paul resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. After he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I've been there, I must go to Rome as well. So Paul resolved in the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 20, verse 16, Paul, it says Paul sailed past Ephesus to avoid spending time there because he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 20, 22 and 23, we saw this last week as Paul met with the Ephesian elders, and this is what he told them. He said, I am bound to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And so the Holy Spirit had revealed two things to Paul. Number one, he must return to Jerusalem. The next stop on his ministry calendar is to go to Jerusalem to take this offering that he had raised to bring relief and support to the saints who were suffering there. He must go to Jerusalem. He's constrained or bound in the spirit to do so. God told him to go to Jerusalem. The second thing the Holy Spirit revealed to him is that when he gets there, they're not going to roll out the welcome wagon, but it's going to be persecution and hardship and affliction and even imprisonment. But that had not stopped Paul from obeying what God had told him to do. And we see in the next verse, Acts 20, 24, he said, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul wasn't going to let a few chains, a few afflictions, a little persecution, a little imprisonment, he was not going to let that stand in his way to accomplish the will of God for his life, which is an inspiration to all of us, I would hope. Amen. And now as we get to Acts 21, we're going to finish out this last leg of the journey as Paul is making his way to Jerusalem. And it says, and when we parted from them, that's the Ephesian elders that he had prayed with, we set sail and came straight by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for the ship was to unload its cargo. Now, if you don't know where any of those places are, don't worry. I don't really know either. They're in the Mediterranean Sea somewhere. It's not that important for us. But what is important for us is this next verse. So in Tyre, it says that having sought out the disciples, the the Christians, the church there, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. 
When our days there were ended, we departed and went on a journey, on our journey, and they all with their wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Philip, when it says it was one of the seven, it means he was one of the seven deacons that was appointed earlier by the church in Acts chapter 6. We saw that some months ago. One of the other deacons, of course, was Stephen, who was stoned at the hands of Saul. Now, some 20 years later, Saul is not the same man that he was, and he is welcomed into the house of one of the other deacons, Philip. And so as the Apostle Paul, he stays with Philip the evangelist for some time. Verse 9 says that Philip had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles." When we heard this, we and the people urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Now, what are we to make of these events? This, this going to Jerusalem, Paul desiring to go there, Paul having on his heart to go there, but these prophets coming and telling him not to go. What are we to make of all of this? Well, we know as we continue reading the story, what is Paul going to do? Well, he's going to go to Jerusalem. And what's going to happen when he gets there? Well, exactly what the Holy Spirit told him was going to happen. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be imprisoned. He's eventually going to be sent off to Rome as a prisoner of Rome. And so the question arises, did Paul ignore the leading of the Holy Spirit? Did Paul disobey God? That's the question that lays before us this morning. What is going on in, in these stories? Well, three times in the passage today, it mentions something to do with the prophetic. In verse 4, it tells us about the disciples in Tyre, how they were speaking through the Spirit, telling Paul not to go. In verse 9, it tells us about Philip's four daughters who prophesied. In verse 10, it tells us about this prophet Agabus who came down and in quite dramatic fashion, pulled Paul's belt off of Paul, tied his own self up, hands and feet, laid on the ground and looked up at Paul and said, do you want this to be you? Because if you think this looks good, go on to Jerusalem because this is what's going to happen to you. After everybody hears this, Luke and his companions, everyone Paul had brought with him to, from Macedonia to bring these offerings from these churches, they all start telling Paul, you can't go to Jerusalem. 
If you go, you're going to be imprisoned. If you go, you're going to be persecuted. If you go, it might cost you your life. We love you. You've meant so much to us. We can't let you go and do this. Paul says, what what are you doing? You're, You're breaking my heart. God has already showed me. God has already told me what I must do. I must go to Jerusalem. And finally, the disciples, they just say, may the will of the Lord be done. They could not persuade Paul, even though they tried. So as we examine these stories more closely today, what I hope to show you is a clear picture of what's going on and how us understanding this story can help us understanding prophetic and prophecy as it is expressed today. Now, if you've been, maybe, uh, you know, if you have Christian friends and Christian relatives, there's there's a good chance that you've been sent via email or Facebook or message or text or something over the last few months some prophetic word by some prophet about something. There's a lot of that going on right now. Has anybody seen anything like this? Okay, right. All you need today to be a prophet is a webcam and a good internet connection. And bang, you're in business. You can be a prophet. So much stuff just swirling all around. What are we to do with all of this? How are, we to, how are we as believers to, to interact with, to respond to what is called the prophetic? This is something that is very important for us today, especially as there is so much being talked about and so much being labeled as prophetic. And so as we look at this story today, it's going to help us to parse through that, to know how we as Christians can faithfully respond to the prophetic. Before we get into it, I I just want to say that unequivocally at Destiny Church, the eldership, the leaders here, myself included, we are what's called continuationists. What that means is that we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit continue today. That the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, gifts of healing, speaking in tongues, that these things did not cease after the apostles in the first century, but that they continue as an expression of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church today. At Destiny Church, we believe that the gifts are for today. This is to contrast with People who believe that they ceased in the first century, they are called cessationists. We are not cessationists. We are continuationists. And we believe that because that's, we see no evidence in the word of God that would tell us that the Holy Spirit stopped operating in that way. And so it's our love for the word and our desire to be faithful to the word of God that causes us to be continuationists. Now, of course, those who are cessationists would also say the same thing. However, I don't believe their arguments are that good. So anyway, we are continuationists at Destiny Church. We believe in the prophetic. We believe in the gifts of the spirit. We believe that they should be in operation in the church and in our lives. Now, that being said, what we also must understand 
is that not everything that is called prophetic is from the Lord. Not everything labeled or called or, 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 or portrayed as a word from the Lord is necessarily from the Lord. We need to understand that. That there are times where people will say things that are, they claim that is prophetic and it is not from God. That happens. You need to know that. You who live in this day and age of the information age and we're so connected and so many things are being shared about that just because someone says, thus saith the Lord, it doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord has said it or saith it or whatever is the term. And why do I say that? Because this is what the word of God teaches. Second Peter 2 verse 1 says, that there are such a thing as false prophets. Peter writing, he says, false prophets arose among the people. He's speaking about the Old Testament people of God. That there were true prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Malachi, Zephaniah, Amos, these very prominent prophets of God. They were true. They were genuine. They spoke the word of God with authority, with clarity, with accuracy. But he says, just as there were true, genuine prophets, there was also false prophets that arose among the people. Listen to what he says. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. In 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen, Paul talks about how Satan comes disguised as an angel of light. When Satan shows up, he doesn't show up in a big red suit with huge horns and a pitchfork saying, follow me to Hades. No, he comes disguised subtly to tempt, to trick, to distort, to, 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 to show himself as an angel of light instead of an angel of darkness. And then Paul goes on to say that if Satan himself does that, so will his messengers. So will his people who are working for him that they won't show up as an occultist or someone who is worshiping Satan. They'll show up as someone who claims to worship the true God, who claims to worship Christ. This is what Peter is warning us about. This is what Paul is warning us about. So here already we see that just because something is labeled Christian, I talked to you about this last week, just because they slap a sticker on it and put it for sale in the Christian bookstore, it doesn't mean that it's good. It doesn't mean that it's true. It doesn't mean that it's genuine. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily Christian. And the same it is for the prophetic. Just because someone claims it is coming from God, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is coming from God. This is what the scripture teaches us. This is not my interpretation. This is not my own thoughts. This is what the apostles wrote down for us so that we would be well equipped to live in this day. Now, I've seen all kinds of stuff being said online as far as prophetic. I saw so much stuff about the election and 
how that was going to go and who was going to win that. I've seen stuff about how we're going to be invaded by China and Russia. I've seen all kinds of stuff. I've grown up in, in a church that operates in uh, the gifts of the Spirit. I've seen some awesome things. I've had God confirm things in my life and, and put my life on the trajectory it's supposed to be on. And I've also seen people's lives taken down the path that was not from God because they believed a false word. So I've seen the good, I've seen the bad, and I'm here to tell you that there is some ugly when it gets to the prophetic. I was in a meeting as a, a young Bible school student, uh, a wonderful meeting uh, service, a time where God was really moving, wonderful time of worship. Just I, I can't remember if it was one of our missions conferences or not, but during this meeting, I had two people come up to me at different times to give me a prophetic word. The first person came up to me. They said, the Lord came, told me to come and tell you that he has given you a mind for business. You're going to be a businessman. You are going to start companies. You are going to be very wealthy, and you are going to devote your life to business. Oh, well, why am I going to Bible school? That's probably the worst way to make money and be in business is Bible school. It didn't jive with me at all. It, it was like, uh, even when this person was telling it to me, it, it was a man, it was like nails on the chalkboard. It just, it just, it wouldn't, did not fit with what I felt the Lord had been telling me for my life. And so here I am just like all, you know, stomach in knots and everything going on and I think I was running sound at the time, so I was back there trying to run sound and process this prophetic word. A few minutes later, maybe 20 minutes later, a lady came up and she said, I feel like I have a prophetic word for you. I said, okay, must be my night, you know. God's got your, his hand on you for ministry. He, he's going to help you and, and, and to develop and, and uh, even in teaching and speaking the word of God and... and just confirming to me everything that I had felt the Lord speaking to me throughout the years growing up in my life. And, you know, here in the same meeting in the span of 15 minutes, I have two totally polar opposite directions that are both claiming to be from God. What are we to do with that kind of stuff? Well, let me just say, God is not confused. Amen? God, God isn't you know, accidentally mixing up his signals that he's sending to people. And, oh, shoot, uh, I, I included the business prophecy for this. Oh, man, I got my emails crossed. You know, have you ever sent the text to the wrong person? Yeah, have you ever, have you ever sent the text to the wrong person about the person you were talking about? I've had that happen to me. It's quite funny. Anyway. God is not like that. God is not confused. God is not bipolar. God also doesn't forget what he said 2,000 years ago. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we, we need to know how to deal with the prophetic because I believe it is for today. I believe it is a blessing for the church. 
But we need to know how to understand it and how to process these words of prophecy. So the first thing we need to understand is just because it's labeled as prophetic and just because it is claiming to be from God, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is. The scripture tells us that. The second thing that we can know about prophecy is that prophecy in the New Testament age, which we live in, the age of grace, prophecy in the New Testament age is different than it was in the Old Testament. Prophecy today is different than it was under the law. It's different than it was when Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Ezekiel, Isaiah, that he, he wrote that prophecy that we read this morning about Christ and the work of the cross. Prophecy today is different. In the Old Testament, prophecy was all or nothing. You either got it all right or you were in big time trouble. Let me read to you uh, what Moses wrote down for us from the Lord or, or wrote down for the children of Israel about prophets. It's Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is God speaking to his people to help them deal with the prophetic. God says, verse 20, the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Those are high stakes. Verse 21, you may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if that thing does not come about or come true, that thing, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So the test for the Old Testament prophets was 100% accuracy. 100% accuracy. If you got it wrong, the penalty was death. Capital punishment. These are high stakes. This is not, you know, well, I get it right 50% of the time. I get it right 75%, not even 99%. The Old Testament prophets, the true, genuine prophets of God of old were 100% accurate. And if they weren't, they were to pay for it with their lives, to purge the false prophets from the people of God. Now, you may have noticed that we don't put people to death who miss prophetic words today. You may have noticed that. We don't have stonings, you know, of you missed your prophecy, you know, go meet Jesus. We don't do that anymore. It's a different day. It's a different age today. And especially when it comes to what we're dealing with today called the gift of prophecy. And we need to understand that there is a difference between the prophets of the Old Testament and the gift of prophecy 
that is in existence today through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a difference. In 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 3, Paul says about one who prophesies that one who prophesies speaks to people for this specific purpose. They're upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. This is what the gift of prophecy is to be used for today in the New Testament. To build people up. To encourage them. And to comfort them. To console them in their time of need. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22 says this. And again, this is dealing with prophecy in the New Testament. Paul says, do not despise prophecies. I have to confess, I'll confess to you, you know, seeing at times so much, um, let's just say stuff, having to do labeled as, called as the prophetic, and just growing up in church and just seeing things. I will confess to you, there was a time in my life where I despised prophecy where I was turned off from it, I was hurt by it. Things that were said supposedly in the name of God that were not from the Lord. I saw people hurt and I, at a, there was a point in my life where I despised prophecy until through this verse, the Lord brought correction to my life and I had to submit myself to the word of God Either I'm going to submit to God's word and not despise prophecy as the Lord commands me to do, or I will disobey God's word. I only have two choices. Well, I don't want to disobey God. I don't want to run from God. I don't want to be like Jonah, so I will submit to God's word. And through that process of submitting to God's word, not saying I will not despise prophecy, I will not just throw it away because of some things I saw that I do not like. I do not have that option if I'm going to be faithful to the word of God. And through that process, the Lord has brought healing in my life. And I can stand before you today and say, I do not despise prophecy, but I value it. I appreciate it. I I see its place in the body of Christ. So Paul says, do not despise prophecies, but, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. So Paul, even as he writes to the Thessalonians about the prophetic in the New Testament, he he has this understanding that as the word of God goes forward, as there is a prophetic utterance given, that there has the potential to be something from the Lord, but also something not from the Lord. And it is the believer's job to not throw prophecy away, to not say there's no place for it, but to also not just receive everything that's labeled as prophetic and say, yeah, that's good, yeah, that's awesome, yeah, that must be from the Lord, because they said, thus says the Lord... No, we test everything and we only hold on to that which passes the test, that which is good. This is what is called eating the meat and spitting out the bones. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. 
1 Corinthians 14, 29, Paul says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Let the others weigh out, let the others judge what is said for truth and for accuracy. This is why anytime, if I'm ever anywhere and someone comes to me and they say, I feel like I have a word from God for you, the first thing I do is I say, hey, can I bring so-and-so over here to hear this? I'm going to bring this person over here too because it, it's, I, I don't want to have to do this by myself. There should be others who also weigh what is said. It's interesting to me I was going to go down a little rabbit hole. I'm not going to do it. Okay. It's safe to bring others into it. It's safe to let others weigh in. The Bible says in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. There is safety. That we need a balanced approach to this, not rejecting prophecy and not just receiving everything that has that label on it. There is somewhere in the middle where we test it. There's somewhere in the middle where we test everything and we say, I can, I can see God speaking this. Okay, I'll receive that. But this I don't know about. This I'm not sure of. Or this doesn't line up with the word of God. And that brings us to really our third point today. The first is that not everything that is prophetic is necessarily prophetic or from the Lord. The second is that New Testament and Old Testament prophecy is different. And the third is that we judge the prophetic by the written word of God. The written word of God. This word is true. This word is from God. God, again, is not confused, and he will never have a word of prophecy that is from him that contradicts his word, ever, ever. I was with a minister the other day, not the other day, actually a long time ago, and this minister was ignoring something that the word of God said. And I, in love, I went to them. I said, brother, this is what God's word says. And he says, yeah, I know, but God told me this. I said, yeah, I know, but he didn't, you see, because he said it here. And it's in, literally in black and white. And you can read it. And it's from the Lord. And he said, yeah, but the Lord just confirmed to me through prophetic and this and that and the other that we can do this instead. And I said, no, 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 that, no, no, that's not how this works. We are to judge the prophetic, the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives by the written word of God. God will never speak a word that contradicts his word that he has spoken before. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Paul, uh, Peter talks about this. And I want to draw this out for you today. I want, I want to help you see this. Because I do believe we need the prophetic in the church. 
but it needs to be submitted to the word of God. And when the prophetic is expressed outside of or out from under the authority of God's word, that's where you really start to get into trouble. And this passage in 2 Peter helps us to to understand that, yes, we should value the prophetic. Yes, we should value the leading of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we should value uh, the, the revelations that God gives to us. But their place, their proper place is in subjection to and under the written word of God. And where the problems oftentimes come into place is where people get those out of order. When they put the prophetic or the God told me or, yeah, but I know, but I'm still going to do it. When, when that gets up here, it's out of balance. And this is what Peter is saying in this passage Peter is going to talk about that time where he went up on the mountain with Jesus, James, and John. And Moses and Elijah came down and met with Jesus. And God the Father spoke from heaven. And the veil of Jesus' flesh was pulled back as the glory of God shone forth. That Peter was there, that he saw it with his own eyes. He's going to talk about that story. Verse 16, he says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's saying, we didn't make this up. This wasn't just some myth we heard. When we preached the gospel to you, the life, death, burial, resurrection of Christ, it was something we saw with our own eyes. He says, for when he, that's Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter is saying, I'm an eyewitness. I saw it for myself. I saw it with my own two eyes. It it happened. It is this revelation of the glory of God. But, he goes on to say, and we have something more sure. More sure than what? More sure than what? Verse 19, we have something more sure. More sure, he's saying, than visions. More sure than personal revelations. More sure than what somebody else would tell me about God or what God told them. He's saying we have something more sure than that. What is it? He says it's the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention to. As a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So what is this prophetic word that we would do well to pay attention to? That is more sure than visions and revelations, than God told me this or that. What is more sure? Verse 20 tells us, he tells us what this prophetic word is he's talking about. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, of course, he's talking about the Old Testament as he himself is writing the New Testament, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
Peter says, I saw Jesus transfixed. I, I saw him heal. I saw him deliver. I saw him open blind eyes. I saw him cause the lame to walk. I saw him call the dead out of the grave. I saw him transfixed with glory. I saw him crucified, buried, and risen again on the third day. Guys, I saw it. But there's something even more sure than my testimony. It is the written word of God. And you would do well to pay attention to that. You see, in this day and age where anybody and everybody can claim to have heard this from God or that from God or to have this revelation or that revelation, we need to do like Peter told the saints of the New Testament to do, and that is that we have something more sure, the confirmed prophetic word of God. This is confirmed, this is tested, this is tried and true. Ever since God spoke to Adam in the garden, Satan has been attacking God's word. And for the last 8,000 years, the word of God has been attacked by the forces of darkness. And yet here it stands today. Here it stands today. Never once having been disproven, never once having an error in it, though it was written by 40 different authors, though it was written over a span of 2,500 years, though it was written on three different continents in four different languages, there is only one author, and that is God, and he has written it together by the Holy Spirit, and it is tried, it is tested, and it is true, and it is the supreme word, and it stands to this day. Jesus said, not even a jot or a tittle from the law will pass away. Those were the punctuation marks. Jesus was saying, even the punctuation of God's word stands to this day. God says, my word is fixed in the heavens. It does not fade. It does not pass away. It does not go away. It stands firm. We as God's people would do well to pay attention to this. And by this, we judge everything else. Does this line up with what the word says? And as we get in the word and pay attention to the word and study the word, we train our spiritual ear to hear the voice of God. It is a training that happens so that when we hear a prophetic word about the election or China invading the United States or who we're supposed to marry or whatever is forwarded to us this week, whether or not we can point to exactly chapter and verse, we can hear with our spiritual ears that have been trained by the word of God, is God's voice in this? And how does this line up with what the Holy Spirit has been leading me and speaking to me? Where, where is this in that? And, and we may at times say, well, okay, uh, this is good and, and I, can, I can hear the Lord in that. But even within the same message say, but this is not. And, and you know what? I don't know about this, so I'm just going to put it over here for now and we'll just see about that. This is what God's people are called to do to have discernment. And there are a lot of well-meaning, good-hearted, 
loving Christians who have no discernment whatsoever. And so anything labeled as prophetic that comes to their inbox, it goes out to everybody else. We are called to use discernment. We are called to value prophecy, to expect God to speak. But also with that comes the responsibility that we must test it all. And if you're not going to test it, you ought to not be listening to it. If you're not going to use discernment, you ought to not be opening yourself up to the prophetic. Because it's not all from God. And now that brings us back to Paul. Did Paul disobey God? No, he did not. No, he did not. The prophetic word that came was about what was going to happen to Paul. Imprisonment, beatings, suffering for Christ. That was the prophetic word. And for Paul, that confirmed what the Holy Spirit had already spoken to him. But then came the interpretation. Then came the spin. Then came not what was from God, but what was from the flesh of these people who loved Paul and cared deeply for him. And they said, if Paul's going to be beaten and imprisoned and maybe even executed, it, that can't be the Lord's will. And they presupposed, again, presumption, presuming what God would do, presuming the will of God. They said, that can't be the will of God. So we must dissuade Paul from going. That's where the flesh stepped in. And a lot of times, this is what happens in prophecy today when people use the gift of prophecy. I believe there are people who are gifted with that and they share what the Lord has put in their heart, but then they keep going. Then they move beyond the word that the Lord put in their heart and they move beyond prophecy and into the interpretation of it that the Lord has not given them and then it just gets way off. So we as God's people... We must value prophecy. We must value the word of God, but we must exercise discernment. And we must train our spiritual ear with the written word of God by which we test all things. And if something comes across and you just say, I don't know about that, man, that seems kind of whacked out. You know what? You, I don't know if you know this. There's a delete button. You don't have to hit the forward button, okay? You can just let it go. You could say, well, we'll see about that. We'll see. But you don't have to just receive everything that's prophetic without testing it. We must, to be faithful, biblical Christians, we must test it all. And God will help us do it. Would you stand with me today? I hope this message has been helpful for you. Maybe if it's not today, maybe at some point in the future, if someone comes to you and says that they have a word from the Lord, you can remember, hey, I need to grab somebody else and let's, let's weigh this out and let's hear this out and let's see how this fits with the word of God. Let's see how this fits with what the Lord has spoken to me. I believe that it is good for us to value the prophetic word. I've, I've seen the fruits of it in my life. I've seen how God has used the prophetic gifts to, to move me, to mold me, to shape me, to, to, to bring me to where I am today and, and to hopefully to see the future of, of my life. And so I value it and I would value it for you as well and encourage you to do so. But again, 
Let's exercise wisdom. Let's exercise discernment. Let's understand that just because we test it, it doesn't make us bad Christians or cynical. In fact, it makes us faithful Christians. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as Peter said, it truly is a light shining in this dark world. Lord, help us in this time that we live when there is so much Lord, even as your word says that in the last days there will be an influx of information, but a decrease in wisdom. Lord, we see that happening in our day where there is just so much information about everything, so much noise, yet so few people living in and operating in true discernment and wisdom. Lord, I pray for an outpouring of the gift of discernment on your body and on your church today. Lord, we need to learn how to hear from you to hear your voice in the midst of all of these voices, to hear your direction in the midst of all of these directions, that we would hear from you, that we would know the plan and the purpose of God that you have for each one of us, that we would be confident in it, and that even if there were to be persecution that arises, that we would be faithful like Paul and stand on your word and move forward in faith trusting in you and saying, may the will of the Lord be done. We thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap this morning.